Church Engage and Equip podcast. This is Aaron Hesse, and I'm here with uh, Senior Pastor Nick Gibson. And we are going to be talking a little bit today about this idea of um, a, a couple lost worships that Nick has been talking about recently. Um, Nick, you've talked about um, lost worship of not affirming God's work in others and not telling stories about God's work in yourself. So before we dig too much into what those different types of worships can mean, what they can look like, can you define for us what worship is? Yeah, sure. Uh, so worship is essentially expressing and enjoying God's worth in proportion to whatever truth is being declared about God. So it doesn't have to just be music. Nope. It's any time where you express to God his worth and enjoy God's worth in something that is true about God. And whenever you're doing that, you're worshiping. Now, that doesn't mean that all forms of that are functionally equal. Obviously, Jesus' command to do the Lord's Supper, communion. Mm-hmm is a ordinance. It's like something Jesus has commanded us to do. So, so there's, there's certain forms of worship that function differently. Um, some are corporate, some are, are personal or whatever. Um, but any time in which we are acknowledging, expressing to God, and enjoying ourselves and celebrating ourselves, or repenting and having faith in response to God's worth, that's what worship basically is. So what prompted you to think of this lost art of worship in the first place, these, these ideas that you've been talking about lately? Yeah, I mean, part of it is just um, I've been reading a book by Sam Crabtree called Practicing Affirmation, which is a great little book. And it's all about this, about not about both of the things that we'll talk about, mainly the one, the first one where he says, um, if the spiritual transformation of others and th- those things which are valuable or praiseworthy in others, you believe are acts or works of the grace of God, then affirming them is a function of worship. Because you're saying that they are—they were either created by the grace of God and therefore exist like a mountain, mm-hmm. and it's just a great thing, but it ultimately finds its source in God. Or it's evidence of God's saving grace, that God is actually sanctifying or changing or developing or growing you, and that is also God's activity. So both, whether it's just a sheer gift that you received in creation or whether it's something being developed in your sanctification, both of those are evidence of the activity and actions of God, and they're beautiful, praiseworthy, and good. Mm-hmm. And so we should verbalize that. Mm-hmm. We should tell people, we should say, that thing that's happening in you is amazing, it's beautiful, and I believe it's an act of God, and I praise God for it. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, it, it allows people to feel better about themselves without inflaming pride in the same way flattery would do. Mm-hmm. So that was actually my next question for you. So we, we've got these tensions that when I think of affirming God's work in others, when I think about doing that, or when I think about telling stories about God's work in myself, there are some hurdles that I come up against as a Christian. Um mm-hmm. One of them is, um, I don't want to tell the stories about myself because I don't want to look like I'm um, self-glorifying or prideful and look at what God is doing in me when the focus is more on myself. Um, I, I can see if, when Christians start to do that, it can become very moralistic where we are just being nice to each other for the sake of being nice that it, and we're patting each other on the back and it's, everything's all great. And just, just because then it's a happy community that we're living in. Um, and then, there's also, I think, a a block where we think, okay, well, if we tell, if I tell my story, then that's that's all that evangelism is. So all I need to do to evangelize other people is tell people my story. Mm-hmm. And so, um, as I was thinking about these two lost arts of worship, then I I thought, what some hurdles might be for people who would be listening? Yeah. Whenever we see something in the Bible affirmed in the Bible that also has possible liabilities. It's not a question of what, it's a question of how. So if the Bible says affirmation is a good thing, 
then affirmation is not the problem. It's how we do it. So one of the ways to do it is how central are you and how central is God in the telling of the story? Mm -hmm. And one of the ways to know that is when your story is really bogged down in personal details, right? When you're Mm -hmm. like, and then, so um, (laughs) this happens a lot with people who are, who are grieving. So if you listen to this story, somebody telling, giving a testimony about what, what God is doing while somebody was dying, like their son was dying, they'll tell you the date their son went to the hospital the first time, which is hmm. not important in the flow of the story from sure. setting background characters, conflict, escalation, resolution. <laughs> like it's not, yeah. but, but in that kind of indulgence, personal indulgence is totally forgivable when somebody's going through something like losing their son or spouse or something. When you see it and people like us just explaining what God did yesterday, that indulgence becomes pretty obvious. An issue, an issue of self-indulgence rather than this is what God did. So if you want to tell a God-centered story, only put the details in the story that are necessary for people to understand what God did mm-hmm. and, and that's, why it's significant that God did yeah, that thing. That's definitely a discipline. It's not an easy thing to just be focused on certain details and ignoring the others. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah. But, but I mean, if you want people to remember what God did mm-hmm. and you want the story to really focus on that, then that's what you got to focus on. And a lot of people kill their testimony by making it boring up front and then try to, and then be like, oh, wait, this is about God at the end. And they just yapper yeah. for a long time. Usually affirmations and um, short testimonies. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are minute window things. And you just got to lay it out there and just say, God is doing this in you. I see it. It's great. Or, mm-hmm. hey, this thing happened. You know, fact, fact, fact. Boom, this happened. Mm-hmm. I just praise God for it. It's so great to see you just got to acting. And that's, it doesn't get more encouraging for people when you make it 20 minutes long. Yeah, that's very true. And it, and that also helps to mortify or kill or lessen pride, mm-hmm. usually. So if we're thinking about this um, affirmation, um, when we're affirming others in order to worship God, what is the difference um, between this type of worshipful affirmation and simply just being nice to one another? Yeah. Well, I mean, manners and civility are really important, and we should totally be nice to each other, and we shouldn't treat that as a cliche, right? Mm-hmm. Um, sarcasm is not as endearing as we, as the giver of sarcasm thinks mm-hmm. it is, as I've often been told by you, actually, <laughs> yeah, which is so helpful. Which you're, you're really good at doing that, by the way. Yeah, um, so generally, I would say this, um, to not be like the fluffy kind of like cliche sort of Christian mm-hmm. person, because not, not, not only do you not want to be that, but people feel that a lot more than it's really there because we have this kind of like, I don't want to be a cliche culture. Mm -hmm. And so sincerity really dies because people, a lot of younger people in particular, but a lot of people in our culture, because it's such a cynical culture, um, one of the biggest sins is sentimentalism. But what, what, what is lost when you hate sentimentalism is sincerity. Mm -hmm. Sincerity feels embarrassing. And so it's been enormously debilitating for me in my own Hmm. personal ministry that I am so against sentimentalism that I have a hard time being sincere at certain times because it feels humiliating and embarrassing for me. And oftentimes when I'm trying to give somebody a really sincere affirmation. And so, um, so for me, what I found that one of the ways to get beyond that, to not feel like I was being sentimental is by being really specific and to say, when you did this yesterday in that context, um, it was so clear to me that you'd grown since such and such and so and so. Or, um, that so like with with I told Jill the other day like that graphic that you did how you selected this to go with that I really liked that yeah um, or or to say not just hey you've been doing a good job but to say the last four pieces of art that you've produced have been way beyond my expectations hmm. the specificity of the number to 
all that matters. Right. And uh, some people on at High Point have bemoaned this, but I I actually don't just throw away words that mean certain things. It's not just the specificity of "Hey, you did this thing" that I'm being specific about. It's also the words I use to describe it, and proportionally how much I'm glorifying it. Mm-hmm. So, so for example, "beyond my expectations" is different than "awesome." Right. Mm-hmm. Those don't mean the same thing, and people will take them differently. If I say you did a really good job, or if I if I just say, "Hey, you did well today," mm-hmm. those are different. And by saying you did well today, I'm I'm saying you did a good job. You did better than you you did everything that we expected of you. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm also saving awesome for when, like, you really knock it out of the park. Right. Um, but at the same time, you don't want to be like the, you don't want to be a miser either and never say awesome or mm-hmm. never say very good or, you know, mm-hmm. people used to joke a couple internships ago, um, Adam Darbone said, when Nick says not terrible, that means really good to <laughs> yes. most people. Yeah. I feel like we should have a dictionary sometimes where, where what you say means certain things and that'd be very helpful. That's. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm getting better at this. Yeah. I pr- I'm working on it. <laughs> um. So, so when we're lo- when we are thinking about wanting to affirm one another, um, and we are being specific about things that we see people doing well and um, verbalizing that in a way that they really do hear it, mm-hmm. um, how do we how do we do that while also still holding on to candor and being honest about where there is room for improvement? Right. So, uh, so for people who are just really all about encouraging other people, this is an easy deal. They just mm-hmm. you're like, well, you just be yourself. You just encourage people. It's just what you do. So for people that are more like me, that always with them is what can be improved. Mm-hmm. Uh, my answer to that is don't lose any opportunity. You're going to have to let a lot of opportunities where you could um, lovingly criticize somebody with candor go past and you lose no opportunity for affirmation. Mm-hmm. So every time you see something that is legitimately, sincerely affirmable, specifically, you do not miss any situation. In fact, I've even told a couple people on staff, be looking for me for things other people do that I might not know about that I can affirm them about. Right. And so I want other people telling me things I can affirm. I want to lose no opportunity to affirm. And then I want to not use every opportunity to tell people how they can improve. Mm-hmm. And if I do that, I can still be an improver mm-hmm. in my personality, but it won't feel like a brutalization to everybody that I work with. Right. Especially when I'm the supervisor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it also carries more weight too if you are um, doing both. Because if if all you're doing is encouraging, which I tend to fall on this side, where mm-hmm. if then then that loses its weight because it's it just sounds like like fluff, like oh yeah, everything. So every, well, of course, yeah. yeah, of course, Aaron likes me. Right, she likes everybody. Right, exactly. But then if if the only words that come out of a person's mouth are um, cynical or ways to improve, then it, it can be even that loses weight then too because mm-hmm. we you know that there's always something on that person's mind for for where you can improve. And so you, then you, then you don't want to change. Right. So. Yeah. And you can see some families a lot of times, like at my, at my house, my kids will be like, mom is really encouraging, but dad tells us the truth. Oh, and my wife is like, Oh, that's so stupid. <laughs> but, but she's just, she's a nurturer and she mm-hmm. wants the kids to feel good. And she tells them great things, but they know if they want to hear, if they want to hear what's up, they know that they should ask me hmm. and I'll tell them. But I also, I also have to, I have to be really careful because I love to tell people what's wrong with what they do. I find, I think that that's very loving, mm. but it's not, not everybody. It's, it's not yeah. how a human being functions. <laughs> so do you have a story of someone affirming God's work in you, Nick, or, um, or a story that you have of, um, being able to affirm someone else and what impact did that have? Yeah. I mean, most of the reason why I have, I eventually probably got into ministry 
is that people or people told me that I did something helpfully mm -hmm. and um, it's, it's always moved me more when people said that thing you explained it's so clear now mm -hmm. this experience that I had of people telling me that I was able to set them free mm -hmm. by explaining something so clearly some kind of hang-up or some misunderstanding that they just read something and they just thought something was a certain way in the Bible mm -hmm. and they're like oh that doesn't feel right and I just came along and was like you see this it goes mm -hmm. like this and they're like oh that's so clear being told that that was so valuable to people hmm. made me work so much harder at it. Yeah. Made me want to, made me want to do it mm -hmm. with my life and ma you know, made me want, it wasn't just, it wasn't just that I was in churches that I didn't like and wanted church to be better. If I didn't really believe that I could do it, mm -hmm. I don't know if I would have done it. Mm -hmm. One of the non-religious situation was I was in, um, and I remember I told this story to lots of people, so it was very, apparently very impacting for me. Um, I was in physics class. I think I was a junior in high school, and I had a teacher named Wayne Huntress. And um, Wayne Huntress is actually my brother's father-in-law now. He married one. Oh, weird. Yeah, it was <laughs> kind of funny. Anyway, um, but I was I, I was I I remember where I was in the classroom. Even I think I was picking up a paper that I had gotten corrected or something. And he and he he kind of cornered me and said, "What do you What do you think you want to be when you graduate from high school?" And I said, "Well, I was thinking about becoming a cop." And he said, well, like, what sort of cop? And I said, well, I was thinking like a New York State trooper. And I didn't realize then that I grew up in provincial New York. I lived in a place where there were more cows than people. <laughs> the only occupations I knew anything about were police because they stopped us on the road, you know, um, and teachers, basically. Mm -hmm. And I assumed that other people did jobs, but I, you know, my vision of that was very narrow. Mm -hmm. Both my parents were teachers. And my both of my dad's parents were teachers. And my mom's parents were in Italy and I didn't speak Italian, right? Yeah. So, um, but he said, and he just said one line. He said, why not the FBI? Wow. Right. And I just thought, <laughs> I didn't think that was for people like me. Yeah. And for him to say, you know, he was basically saying, you can always be a state trooper. Yeah. If you don't make the FBI, why not aim for that? Yeah. And it would have never occurred to me to think that way. Mm -hmm. But the fact that he said that actually blew the, the ceiling off of my understanding of what I could do with my life. And mm -hmm. it was... And, you know, I'm sure my parents would be so sad to know that in, like, this comment. But it was very intentional for Mr. Hunters. It mm -hmm. wasn't a throwaway line for him. Like, he intentionally, he'd been thinking about that. Yeah. He'd been thinking about me. He'd been thinking about the kind of screw-up I was becoming. Yeah. He, he'd been thinking about how I was underachieving in his class. And he knew I was smarter than that. He knew my parents. And that was a, and that took courage for him to do. Because mm -hmm. I could have blown him off and made him feel like an idiot. Yeah. Um, but what he did is extraordinarily loving and mm -hmm. it, and it made a much bigger impact on me probably than he ever dreamed mm -hmm. of. And it was, a, and it was an implicit affirmation, but I'm such a critical person. That's all I needed. Right. Well, and it, and it could have gone one of two ways. I mean, he could have continued to you know, pound into you that you need to change or be better, or mm -hmm. at least be a, you right. know, a state trooper. Or and that's you know. the situation that he was in. I was doing so poorly in his class that he didn't have anything to affirm me for. Hmm. There was nothing to affirm me right. about. And so he found a way to sort of backhandedly, implicitly affirm me. Huh. And it made a huge difference in my life. Hmm. Yeah. So, Did you have a story you wanted to share? Yeah. Well, I, it's actually with you. I remember a couple of years ago, it was, this is a year and a half ago maybe, um, Jason and I had first started leading a small group after being in training with you. And um, there was some turmoil within the group. There was just some um, – conflict of like how a group should be run and what, what should be happening, um, as leaders. And we were getting some of that feedback from, um, a couple of people in the group and we had no idea if you knew about the situation, but we were really worried like, Oh no, what if like 
if Nick and Pastor Lloyd, if they know like that people don't like what we're doing, like people are we going to, yeah, or, yeah, or people yeah. are going to think that, yeah, we're not doing a good job. We're going to be kicked off of the small group leadership team. Mm-hmm. And I remember Sunday and I, I remember specifically where we were, we were at the info desk serving and you came up to us and I don't remember specific words that you said, but I remember you looking at us and saying like, look, I, um, I don't know if you knew that I knew about the situation or not, but, um, I just wanted to let you know that I've heard some feedback about your small group and you guys are doing a really great job. You're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing and knowing how candid you are and how you will, you will say exactly what you're thinking and, um, not sugarcoat and also be very honest if something is going wrong. I took that and I just felt like great for, you know, for weeks. I mean, it still, it still impacts me because I, I knew that, um, because of your, um, being candid, I could trust the affirmation that you were giving because it was specific, because it was also related to something that, um, I felt very strongly in my heart that I wanted to do well. Um, I cared about it a lot. And so for you to, yeah, for you to say that was great. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. You, you guys, you guys are great. So, oh. so yeah. And I think part of the things that people sometimes don't understand is that people read you. Mm-hmm. And if you are, um, too clenching with your affirmation, mm-hmm. they realize yep. that. And the good news for people like that is that if you try a little bit, people around you, they know how hard it is for you mm-hmm. and they know, and it matters to them. Mm-hmm. And if you're the kind of person that doesn't throw away a compliment and you compliment them and you're being sincere and specific, it can mean the world to them because they know you don't just go around just right. puffing everybody up. Right. Um, but if you're encouraging, one of the ways you can get more mileage for that, like if you're the person like you that are just, mm-hmm. you're always like, I think you're great. Mm-hmm. If you get more specific. Right you can make people feel a deeper truthfulness in what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And so eat without pulling back at all at how encouraging you are, you can actually make your encouragement more powerful. Yep. Yeah. Well, so um, you talked about a, a non-religious example. And I talked about how you were able to affirm Jason and I in our small group leading. Um, so for our listeners, what are some practical ways of affirming other people in a worshipful way um, but without having, I think there's this tendency to think, okay, well, f- for it to be a, worshipful um, affirmation. I need to always say something like glory to God at the end of every Mm -hmm. sentence or something. How do we um, worship in this way without sounding cliche, without um, falling into some of those cliche phrases that a lot of Christians do? Yeah. Well, you don't have to necessarily use theological language every time, but if you really do want to make it worshipful, then using, using, you talking in a way that is actually recognizing the greatness of God in the thing mm-hmm. is important. Mm-hmm. And so you can talk about God's grace or graciousness or generosity. Mm-hmm. You can, um, you can talk about, um, the work of the spirit mm-hmm. and somebody you can talk about, um, that th- things like, you know, it's clear that like there are realizations that are happening. I, that God, the spirit is illuminating truth to you in a way that, and I, I can just see that the, there's a keenness in you now that mm-hmm. you can see stuff your, with your perceptions. So you don't always have to say glory, you know, glory to God, like explicitly. Mm-hmm. You don't have to like lapse into doxology after you, you know, say something affirming. Yeah. But I, I think that I think that connecting it to either God's providence and creation to to give you that gift to begin with, God's graciousness, the the activity of God in sanctification, the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, that you can see the person is applying the gospel, that somebody's responding in faith to something. Um, yeah, I, th- I mean, there's a lot, but just working to vary the language and mm-hmm. sometimes to use less religious language sometimes instead of using the word grace, using the word generosity. Mm-hmm. Sometimes those kinds of things help as well. 
But I do think you want to point people's attention to God. I don't think we do it too much. I think we do it too little. Hmm. And But if we can do it in a way that is less um, colloquial or cliched, um, not only do they get more out of it, but we get more out of it. Because mm-hmm. when you use familiar categories, your brain doesn't connect as directly and specifically with the meaning of those phrases. Right. And so you say them, but you're not, it's, it's actually emotion, mm-hmm. and you're kind of on autopilot. So by choosing your words carefully, you're making the affirmation mean more to you and more to them. Mm-hmm. Cool. So we see, like, on a personal level, we see that this can play out um, in, in those types of conversations and using that verbiage. Um, but what about on a, like as a church body as a whole, how will affirming God's work in others and telling stories about what God's doing in ourselves and what we see in other people, um, going to change the church? How is that going to change the church? Yeah. So we spent most of our time talking about affirmation, which Mm -hmm. I think is perfectly reasonable. Mm -hmm. Um, but the other of the two lost worships that we were talking about was when we don't tell stories about what God has done and we don't pass on those stories when they come from credible sources. Mm -hmm. So there's also that issue of like what I see God doing in my life. Sometimes sharing that um, we are affirming God by saying what we're experiencing as opposed to affirming God by seeing what other people are experiencing. Um, Both of those are critically important things. Um, One of the things that I hate is when I find somebody else tells some incredible story that I didn't know for months. Hmm. That like, I mean, literally we've had, we've had um, incidents of people getting physically healed from very significant um, infirmities in just in the last couple months here. And, like, I didn't hear about some of them for weeks. Right. And all of a sudden, I'm just like, oh, yeah, there was this girl, and she had, like, this terrible blah, blah, and these chronic headaches, and she was having one, and she was in the, you know, and there was this other guy that was having, was it, had this very powerful addiction to mm-hmm. something, and he just couldn't get free of it, and they prayed for him, and, like, that whole reaction just went away incredibly. And, yeah, I mean, it is, it is our job to pass those things around. And I think that one of the biggest things, there's two things that happen. One, it just produces faith to ask God for things. And that's one of the things that in some ways is at an all-time low in the Christian church in America, partly because you can tell by how we pray. There's just not a lot of faith. Mm-hmm. And secondly is a true faith-based expectancy that people really can change. That when I affirm God's activity in you, it's hard for you to see because it's you, and you every day it's adjusting. It's kind of like when like you have a kid or something, and somebody doesn't see your kid for a year, and they're like, whoa! Yeah. And, and like you didn't see them change. Right. You know they're different, but you didn't see them change. Mm-hmm. And um, but the other person, it's a big deal because they, they, they're five inches different for that person. Mm-hmm. And when you give a testimony of something that happened that's kind of really specific, or when you affirm somebody else, you're letting them see something that's happening too slow mm-hmm. for them to see. And because human change happens slow, sometimes we believe it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. But really that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, yeah. right? Because it's not happening fast enough, people say, oh, you're not changing. And then you actually backslide. Right. And, and you lose the change and you don't continue to change and then nothing really ever does change mm. because we believe nobody changes. Yeah. But when people really believe people change and people start affirming change and there's stories flying everywhere of you giving a testimony of how God has changed you, me giving you affirmations about how God has changed you, before you know it, you believe God can change you. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, all that unbelief and doubt begins to go away and you begin to be more open to repentance because now you believe if you see your sin and you actually repent of it and trust God, he'll change you. Mm-hmm. And so now the protectiveness of sin begins to go away and you begin to be ready for repentance. And there's always the possibility that pride is going to creep in and things like that. But that's part of the risk of trusting God. Yeah. Yep. I think one of the most important things I think to end with here is that these are issues of worship. Mm-hmm. This is stuff that God has done that is amazing, that he deserves credit for. Mm-hmm. 
that we should celebrate and enjoy his worth and mm-hmm. thank him for. Mm-hmm. And in so doing, incredibly benefit ourselves and strengthen his church and fulfill his mission. But God is always, almost, almost every good that God does is working 15 different angles. And so we just do that good um, for the right reason at the right time. So we honor God and we honor that God in other pe- that God in other people mm-hmm. and what He's done, or f- out of ourselves for other people to build their faith through testimonies, and then we just let God use that without trying to micromanage how it gets used. Yeah. You just sometimes you just have to throw that stuff out there and trust God to let, as Luther used to say, you, you throw it out there and you let the Word do its work. Mm-hmm. And that's true of the work of the Spirit. It's true of God's sovereignty. You do the right things for the right reasons, and so things like worship. We do this for the right reason. We give God the credit he's due. We enjoy it ourselves. We share mm-hmm. it with others. And I don't have to know, even know how it's going to change you. Mm-hmm. It just that's gonna. okay. Yeah. And if we'll let the things that are supposed to happen automatically happen automatically. What we do in the Christian church nowadays is we try to, we try to create the things that are supposed to happen automatically when you do the right things for the right reason. Mm-hmm. And then we don't. And, and while we're doing that, we stop doing the right things for the right yeah. reasons. We need to quit doing that. We need to start doing the right things for the right reasons. Quit thinking we can manage or psychologize health into being. Mm-hmm. We need to do its good. And then let the Word do its work. Let the Spirit do His work. Let the Father providentially guide things for mm-hmm. our good out of faith and repentance. And I think if we will recapture these two lost arts of worship and add them to overt, shared, corporate, musical worship and other forms of worship, um, I think that there's an enormous amount of vectoral directional movement in the right way that will happen and a lot of christian growth that we won't labor over it will be much easier mm-hmm. it'll feel like it's just happening but it won't be just happening it'll be flowing out of that kind of worship right cool well i'm excited to start um, practicing these disciplines of yeah being able to affirm each other well um to tell stories about what god is doing and so thank you for sharing your thoughts on that um thank you guys for all for listening to the engaging quit podcast today and we hope you tune in again soon mm-hmm.